Welcome to Fine Tuning with Drew Taylor, your one-stop shop when it comes to animation, news, and commentary. I'm Drew's co-host, entertainment writer Jim Hill, and he and I are recording this show on Friday, February 21st, 2020. Now, it's kind of an interesting day animation-wise, right, Drew? Because, what is it, today is when the seventh season of Star Wars Clone Wars drops? Yeah, did you watch it? uh, it's it's on my list. Oh, to, you know, again, in fact, you know, my problem is I I work the James Michener side of the street. You can't just watch season seven of Clone Wars. I actually started with the Genedy Tartakovsky Clone Wars stuff, the the hand drawn thing that they did that predated the CG. Uh, that's my favorite. That's one of my favorite Star Wars things ever. And, and I was kind of shocked. There's like two hours yeah. of them. And, you know, I remember when they were initially being breadcrumbed out and you'd get like three minutes at a time, but they were, you know, know, so beautifully animated and so well done. So, yeah, it was one of these things where it's like, well, if I'm going to really understand and appreciate this, I should start with with Kennedy's stuff. And then he was switching over to the CG show and sort of getting caught up. Um, So I'm I'm plowing through them. I I want to do my due diligence, but it's just it was just kind of interesting to watch the Clone Wars animated feature that was done out ahead of the show yeah well you know but the weird thing of it is is i i remember when it came out and you're right that that was kind of the reaction to you know the entire world in fact it it didn't do all that well at the box office it was the first star wars film to really get panned i mean i mean let's be honest the, the prequels didn't get great reviews especially attack of the clones and uh, Revenge of the Sith. But yeah, this one got hammered. But to watch it now, now that there are, what, 60, 70, 80 episodes of the Clone Wars animated series, it's just sort of like, yeah, okay, I know this look. And um, and that was the other factoid I came across was that George, supposedly, when he was sort of revisiting the material, which, by the way, Gennady did not like the idea that George went back and basically redid what he did. Mm-hmm. But George decided that for the look of the characters, he wanted something like those wooden puppets for Thunderbirds. You know, do you, do you remember that? That was the inspiration the, of the look of those characters? That was the inspiration oh, for the look. Good so. Lord. Yeah, I mean, yeah. It, it always struck me as kind of like neither fish nor fowl, where it was mm-hmm. sort of like he was he was ripping off the Gennady stuff, but also mm. creating his own, and it was kind of neither here nor there. And I, I, I was never super into the look of Clone Wars. And I understand there are limitations with CGI, but yeah. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, I, I watched this first episode. It's really good, so you should watch. Okay. Yeah. I, I, I will get this there. This is what I was doing, Jim, when I was eight minutes late to, to record. Well, I see. Again, you just jumped committed. in. I'm, I'm committed. I, I got to back up the truck 1,200 miles. <laughs> um, on the other hand, I also call the wild open today. And again, uh, we've talked about this previously, uh, directed by Chris Sanders, who co-directed Lilo and Stitch and How to Train Your Dragon. And, you know, it wasn't until... You know, I remember when you, you broke the news to me that it wasn't a real dog, you know, that <laughs> I I think it was harder to tell in the initial ads, mm-hmm. but now with the promotion that's been done since, and it's like, oh yeah, that is a cartoon dog, but it's not just a, a CG dog, it's a replacement of a Cirque du Soleil performer in a performance capture suit. and yeah. Terry Notary um, has been like he was Kong in Skull Island. He's was he really? Yeah, oh, he's he's okay. like a he's a very cool like uh, movement type guy. He was in the Hobbit trilogy, mm-hmm. Tintin, Avatar, Planet of the Apes. Um, I think he was in Planet of the Apes the uh, the bad who was the bad gorilla that he had to kill. Oh, I know. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, sorry. He was Rocket in in the Planet of the Apes movie. So that was not that was not a bad one. But yeah, he's Mm -hmm. been in a bunch of these movies. He's also a a stunt performer, like in costumes too. So he was in Attack the Block and a lot of other things. So I I I just hate to say it, but coming on the heels of Togo, you know, it's weird. The bar bar is set very high right now for you know these sorts of movies set in the Arctic with dog sleds and that sort of thing. Yeah, um, and and you can actually get a performance out of real dogs. You know, you don't you, need you don't need the CGI. Mm. But I mean, I get it. Also, okay, 
Well, again, you know, going to try to get out and see that this weekend. The reviews as well, have not but... been not been great mm-hmm. <laughs> for that one. Well, but again, you know, face it, how many different versions of Call of the Wild have been produced yeah, at this true. point? Yeah. You know. Um, it's sort of ironic it, that it's a Fox movie, but it feels very much like a Disney thing. Absolutely. Absolutely. And yeah, but, but I guess we got to get used to that. So on the other hand, you earlier this week, and appropriately enough, given that you did write the the art of book for this thing, but you attended the premiere of Onward, didn't you? Yes. Or, or- yeah, it was great. I, um, you know, got to see the finished version. I hadn't seen the finished version yet. I had only seen mm-hmm. it. You know, when I saw it, it was, I would say, 98% storyboards. I think there were two mm-hmm. scenes that were sort of animated, but they looked more like, you know, PlayStation 4 cutscenes. So, um, yeah, so this was really the first time I'd actually gotten to see the movie. So it, that mm-hmm. was really a big thrill for me. Okay. Um, and the crowd really responded well. You could hear the sniffling, you know, echoing through the theater <laughs> the very end, you know. So, um, no. Yeah. Now, I was supposed to get out and see it this week, but we had a a snow event on Tuesday. So I missed my opportunity, but they're supposedly doing some advanced screenings uh, in in the next week or so. So hopefully before it actually opens on March 6th, I'll get to see this thing. But the interesting thing is that that on the very same day that I couldn't get down my driveway to to see this movie, uh, UPS couldn't get up the driveway to to deliver the Onward book. So the the very next day I come down and I look and what's that in a snowdrift? And it's it's literally a plastic bag and inside the pack is a package filled with the Onward books, which, which I've since read. Okay. And... I don't want to give anything away plot-wise. Yes. Um, but I have to admit, I I really like the third act twist. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a really smart way for this movie to go, given that, you know, if you think about the way this has been advertised and, and that sort of thing is a movie about magic and adventure, but at the same time with a contemporary feel. But when you really get down to its heart of hearts, it's a story about a family, and which some 16 years after the fact, is still dealing with the passing of the father. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, were you, I, you were at D23 in 2017 where they unveiled this thing, right? Well, yeah, yeah. I, and, I and still remember I, that vividly, that whole story yeah, that he told. Yeah, I mean, but that's the interesting thing is that I remember when Josh was on stage telling the story, and it was so such a pure and personal story. And and but at the the same time to look at the the very elaborate movie that's been built on top of that, it's like okay, well how how do you get back to that? And that was what was sort of startling about reading the story. And I was like, oh, that's a really clever way to go. Yeah. So and again, I think I, I think even the people that don't like this movie that much mm-hmm. can appreciate that ending. I okay. mean, it's really good. Yeah. All right. Well, look, again. <laughs> We'll put a pin in this, folks, and, and get back to an in-depth discussion in a couple of weeks, which, again, you know, Drew can do better than Nate Bells on the planet because, you know, he, again, he's the guy who wrote the soon-to-be-published by Chronicle Books, The Art of Onward. Yes, which, order your copy now. I got my copies in the mail the other day. I was so excited. Nice to hold it in your hand, you know, so. Yeah. yeah. Okay. A a couple of housekeeping things here, though. Um, It was the premiere, so they don't really show trailers at the premiere, right? No. No. But you know what they did? They did have the uh, walk-around characters from the parks there. Did they? Which was very Uh, cool. And they they turned the... uh, the Hard Rock Cafe into the Manticore's Tavern, which was also very oh. funny. <laughs> oh, that's cool. Yeah, it was pretty cool. Uh, okay. I have to ask, though, have you heard? I mean, I have to assume that we're going to get another trailer for Soul out in front of this thing, right? Yes, we are going to get a trailer for Soul. Of course we're going to get a trailer for Soul attached to this. Mm-hmm. Come on. Um, okay. We're also and... getting a, a trailer for uh, Connected, which we saw the first look images of this week, the mm-hmm. formerly known as Mitchell's versus the machines, um, which uh, is coming from Sony, which I th- I'm very excited about. So that'll be attached as well. And, and you were saying you were especially looking forward to this because of the projects. One of the key creatives is, uh, you know, sort of the secret weapon from uh, Gravity Falls. Yeah. Right? Mike Rianda, who, who, you know, I think he is only credited as like a creative consultant mm-hmm. or something but he was really one of the driving factors in what made gravity falls so special but uh mm-hmm. 
Yeah, we got another Pixar okay. movie coming up soon. So yeah, we're gonna get a new Soul trailer uh, with okay. Onward. Yeah, because in theory, Onward has a killer slot. It opens uh, March six. We don't really get a new animated feature out there till DreamWorks Trolls World Tour on April 17th. Right. But that said, three weeks after Onwards you know, gets released, here's Disney with its brand new live action version of Mulan. Mm-hmm. And let's face it, the promotional dollars are going to shift fairly quickly over to a full court press on Mulan. Right. And then right behind that is Black Widow. So, yeah. I have to ask about this because I, I know you and I, as long as we're talking trailers, the <laughs> Minions Rise of Gru trailer dropped, you know, since we last recorded. Okay. And what is your take on that? Because I can't decide if it's the most idiotic trailer I've ever seen or it's the most brilliant trailer I've ever seen. Well, it seems like less of a trailer and more like just a scene from, from the movie. No, that's it exactly. I mean, it's it, that's the thing. It's like, you know how... You know, there's supposedly this art form of condensing an entire movie down to like two minutes and picking the best moments and dangling that carrot. I feel like I just watched two minutes of the movie and I know exactly what this movie is about, right. you know, but with no surprises left at this point. So if we're being completely honest here, this is the fifth Minion film, yeah, uh, which I was kind of surprised to find out officially now is the highest grossing animated film franchise in, in Hollywood history. It's, really? Yeah. The way the numbers break down, Despicable Me right now, the five films have, have grossed $3.7 billion worldwide. Coming in a close second is Ice Age. That's, you know, again, five films as well. That's $3.2 billion worldwide. And then, interestingly enough, Toy Story is, is third, uh, but with four films. I mean, they've done bigger boxes overall individually, but that's $3.43 billion in uh, worldwide ticket sales. But the thing I find fascinating is that I don't know if you saw in the latest pile of marketing material for Disney Plus that on March 1st, Ice Age makes its official debut on Disney streaming service. Finally. Um, yeah. And, you know, I know you and I have talked previously about how what the Easter special was on there, but this is the film from March of 2002, the one that launched it. And evidently... You know, there's a number of folks at Imagineers, they've been asking for these films to be put on Disney Plus so they can start building a case about building attractions for the park based on this franchise. Um, you know, I just want that, do you think there's still gas in the tank, though, for this franchise? You know, that's the weird part is that supposedly they have asked for a sixth Ice Age film. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. Where is there left to go? Because wasn't the last one, Scrat spent most of it in a UFO. <laughs> because they'd literally run out of stories to tell on Earth. So, I don't know. It, it's going to be interesting. Anyway, we, we, we were just talking about Call of the Wild. Yeah. Opens in theaters this Friday. Interesting thing is that uh, already the trades are kind of weighing in and saying, you know, it's it really, to be completely honest here, it's far more likely Sonic's going to have beat this in its second week in a release. You didn't manage to get out and see that, right? I did. I couldn't bring myself to Jim. The reviews were so bad. Mm -hmm. I was just like, you know what? Life is too short. I'll see it. I'll (laughs) see it on digital or somebody will send me a Blu-ray. I don't, I don't need to make this a priority. Well, before we move on here, I do want to point out that remember when we initially uh, reported on the fact that they had shifted the release date and they were going to redesign the character. And, and you, Drew, almost immediately said, oh, that, that that's going to impact the toys. Yes, yeah, because those <laughs> toys were on their way, baby. Yeah, and, and that's the thing. The toys are sitting on store shelves right now, and they're still sitting there, folks. You know, kids will go in and, oh, I, I like the Sonic movie. And it's like, I, let me get the toy. And it's like, what happened to Sonic? <laughs> you know, uh, evidently he had some sort of horrible offstage accident. and But it's the original look for the character, and they, they're just not selling so yeah um, i mean i was i saw too that like there's a part where there's a baby sonic mm -hmm. moment and even that is from an original design that is just 
absolutely nightmarish, and so those, all those toys are not moving either. So, uh, yeah. Well, yeah. Remember, they excavated the dump where they put all of the E.T. game cartridges, so at least there's some place to put all of the, you know, yes. the Sonic toys now. Yes, that'll so. be a documentary in 20 years, us uncovering yeah. the, uh, <laughs> the Sonic <laughs> toys. Oh my All right. Well, well, while we're talking about theatrical releases and that sort of thing and, and trailers, ahead of the Sonic movie in theaters is the trailer for Rumble. It's Paramount Animation's uh, big release for January of 2021. Uh, and, Drew, I'm, I'm almost reluctant to do this because, you know, face it, this time last year we were getting ready for Wonder Park. The world wasn't ready for Wonder Park. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Well, but, you, no, and, and it's interesting you bring that up because think about it. We, later this spring, we have the SpongeBob movie, Sponge on the Run, uh, you know, comes out in theaters. And that basically sets up the the prequel series, uh, Camp Coral, that Nickelodeon is doing. And, and and in fact, that just this past week finally got a release date. I guess it's going to start airing in July. But think about it. The whole story that we were told about Wonder Park was is it was setting up the animated series that, that evidently was in production at the same time. Drew, it's, it's more than a year now, and that show has yet to air. I mean, yeah. I, I, can, I can tell you the name of it. It's called Adventures in Wonder Park. And according to IMDb, it's supposed to start airing next month. Uh, but I'll be damned if I could tell you when. I'll believe uh, it when I see it, Jim. Yeah. But but anyway, look. I Did you see the Rumble trailer? I, I did. I did. And look, I'm one of these guys who actually grew up liking the bad Godzilla films, you know, where, they, where you could basically see the zipper right. and, you know, they, they were doing the horrible wrestling and knocking over the, the buildings made out of balsa wood and tissue paper. But that's the thing of the conceit of this movie is that, that this is a collaboration between Paramount and Animation and WWE Studios. And the conceit is that the, what if kaiju like Godzilla actually exist only instead of tearing up cities? They they then battled each other in oversized rings for our entertainment. And, you know, I love Will Arnett. I really, really do. I want this to work. The designs are terrible. <sighs> I mean, his character looks just like Sully yeah. from, from Monsters, Inc. I know. And I'm know. sorry, but... I'm sure there are many talented people working at Real FX, uh, the mm -hmm. animation studio. Yeah. But good lord, their product is just so kind of plasticine, and I, I don't know. I, I I was not impressed by that trailer at all. No, no. But again, we're eleven months out. Maybe they can turn it around. <laughs> it looked pretty finished, though. I mean, that was the other thing that I was surprised by. Was it's like this is coming out in January? But, I mean, it was supposed to come out in July. It was. It was. Okay, I'm, I'm trying to be positive here. <laughs> hey, hey, pause. pause. What, what, you were just talking about Paw Patrol, right? Yes. Yeah, what, what? <laughs> you know? yeah, there's going to be a Paw Patrol movie, Jim. Are you excited? Well, again, you know me. I, I, I love dogs. Right. You know, the, have we told people yet about your dedicated Instagram for your dog yet? No, but I mean, if you want to see my dog, it's Nova the Jindo on mm. uh, Instagram. And if you want to see some really cute pictures, my wife, Katie, is the one that really, she's really her social media manager. Yeah, my my dog is very cute, and and I know Nancy loves seeing photos. So and and as do I. So, but 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 again, so it's Papa Charles. It's dog. I, I'll grade in a curve here. I mean, it's from the director of Nut Job Two: Nutty by Nature and Escape from Planet Earth. So what I'm trying to say uh, is, I smell a classic, and, Jim. And you had to ruin it. Okay. <laughs> Uh, okay, well, um, okay, uh, pivoting to other television-related projects, did you see, yeah, I think it was actually the, the same announcement where they revealed um, the, when Camp Coral was going to drop, and in fact, what is it, SpongeBob's Underwater Years or Underpants Years, I forget. Is what that what it's called? It's, uh, no, oh, under, uh, under years, like under younger years. years, yeah. Younger, there we go, my mistake. Yeah. But yeah, in that same announcement, they revealed that, what is it, Steven Universe Saga uh, officially coming to a close. We've got the, the first of the final 10 episodes begin airing on Cartoon Network on March 6th. 
And the series comes to a close on March 27th with a four-part series finale. I'm so glad that I I know this now, Jim, because I was so confused. I thought the last episode was the last episode ever. Mm -hmm. And I was like, it's it's a great episode, but it's kind of a light episode. So until that announcement, I was under the impression that was it. So I'm very, I'm very thankful that this is, this is coming to a conclusion. Well, but that's where it gets kind of intriguing is that uh, this is Rebecca Sugar, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Okay. And evidently, she put out a statement to the effect of going to appreciate everybody who's worked on the show. And, you know, and and then it got interesting with sort of the effect of these characters will live on. Uh, And I bring that up because, first of all, I want to mention that as part of the lead up to the show, Cartoon Network and Fathom are teaming up on March 23rd. Nationwide, they're doing this a Steven Universe the movie sing-along event where the interesting thing is, they again, they show the movie uh, or the well-reviewed, well-received Emmy Award-winning TV movie with the lyrics at the bottom of the screen so you can sing along, but it also includes the world premiere of a Steven Universe future episode out ahead of the show uh, ending on March 27th. But uh, getting back to Rebecca Sugar, when she was paneling, I want to say, at Comic-Con, somebody in the audience brought up, wow, you guys do such great music for this thing. And Have you ever, guys ever thought of doing a Steven Universe, the musical, you know, in the style of the SpongeBob musical that went to Broadway? And there was supposedly this kind of awkward pause during the panel where, you know, Rebecca sort of looked to each side and it's like, I don't think we're allowed to talk about that yet. So, Oh, wow. So I don't know, you know, maybe that's the whole point of, oh, these characters will live on. Well, I mean, in her statement, she said, uh, though our epilogue series is coming to a close, please trust trust that like us, these characters will always be growing, changing and supporting each other. So maybe. There we go. Okay. Feels um, like the door is left open a little crack. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Any chance we can get a similar statement for Gravity Falls at some point? <laughs> God. You know, well, have you been watching Owl House? I, I have. I have. I like uh, it a lot. I, I do as well. I mean, it's beautifully animated. It's got great writing. Speaking of which, though, did you get to see Duncanville? Yeah, uh, I like that a lot, too. Well, what's intriguing to me is that's the the showrunner in this thing, Mike Scully. Mm-hmm. He ran, um, he was showrunner of The Simpsons from 97 to 2001. And the interesting thing is he then stepped away and started doing work in live action. He did uh, Everybody Loves Raymond and then Park and Recreation. And evidently that's where he became friends with Amy Poehler and... That's when they worked together to develop this animated series. But yeah, I mean, I thought it was solid. I thought it was well-written. Did you see David Silverman has a credit as well? Yeah. Always enjoy watching David's name show up. Yeah. Um, especially on the heels of the original Monsters, Inc. That, you know, he'd, he'd get back two features, but, uh, you know, what are you going to do? Yeah. You know, the interesting thing to remember that this is basically in the slot that Bless the Hearts had on Fox up until just recently. In fact, I guess the last episode of the season one, which only had 10 episodes, uh, ran on January 12th. Um, you know, remember, we, I think we talked about this in a show last fall. That, that's already been picked up for a second season. Going to be interesting when they go to set the schedule. Animation domination, Jim. That's what Fox Sunday nights are all about. <laughs> But yeah, it's just going to be interesting to see who gets to be lead sled dog here. Cause, right. Because if you think about it, you know, Bob's in no danger of, of being canceled. There's like, I mean, we've got the, the the movie still supposedly coming out on July 17th. I'm, I'm kind of surprised we haven't seen a trailer for that yet. I don't, I don't think it's actually coming out on July 17th. Uh, really? Yeah, I think it's just been quietly moved off of things because there's Ooh. no... I mean, it's supposedly still there, but I, I don't think it's going to to make it. Hmm. You th- we haven't heard one thing about it yet. No, I, I wasn't there. At least a poster out for a while, or there might have been at some like marketing convention or something. But I okay. wonder, I wonder if that'll be a Hulu debut <laughs> or, you know, 
Because, like, we've seen a lot of animated movies go that route. So. Well, it's a it's a funny you mentioned that because the very next thing I want to talk about is the Sean the Sheep movie Farmageddon because if face it that got theatrical release in October uh, of last year in the UK and here in the states you know uh, what it dropped on Netflix on February fourteenth. I mean, you and I have talked about this previously. I'm, I'm you know I'm a huge fan of Ardman. You're a huge fan of Ardman. Huge. Uh, and Sean does have kind of inter- interesting history as a character debuted with Close Shave back in 95. Uh, and then there was the Shaun the Sheep series that launched in 2007, where they really skewed, deliberately skewed the character younger to sort of shoot for that kind of pre-K kind of audience kind of feel. And then we got the Shaun the Sheep movie in 2015. And, uh, you know, here we are again with Farmageddon. And I mean, I hear it's good. It's solid. It's like I said, it's on this weekend's list of things to sit down and watch. Oh my God, Jimmy. I am out here busting my hump, watching these movies for children, for the show. And then you, (laughs) you've been sick. This would have been, this would have been completely perfect, sick day material. Well, see, this is the problem. I blame the Alka-Seltzer Plus. All right. I I take it. I drink. I sit down. I watch a movie. I wake up 90 minutes later when the credits are rolling. Right. And it's like, I mean, technically, I have, in fact, watched the movie. I just have not (laughs) (laughs) pretended. You haven't processed it yet. Yeah. It's 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 really, really really good. I love love both of the movies because, I mean, they're essentially silent films. It's it's Mm -hmm. sort of animation at its purest form. So... I think you'll really get a kick out of it. And the little alien character is an absolute hoot. So I think okay. you're going to like it a lot. All right. Well, as soon as we wrap up here, I promise I will okay. Okay. switch from the Alt-Seltzer Plus to coughing. But speaking of stuff out of the UK, you know, last week we had almost way too much stuff about Winnie the Pooh. But there's a couple of stories left that have interesting little bends on Disney's experience with Pooh, which we'll get to in a sec. Okay, so now we got a letter from our longtime listener, Bernie Drew, who, in response to last week's show, pointed out that you know, we kind of stepped around one of the weirder aspects of, of Disney and Pooh, and that was the Pooh for President campaign mm-hmm. that the, the company didn't do just once. It actually did, what, 68, 72, 76, and in 1980. And to start things off here, that was a very different mindset from when you worked at the company, right? Like, you know, yes. Well, okay, you yeah. T- so I, w- I was on the – I was a content strategist, I believe was my title. And so I was working on the blogs on Disney.com and the social media channels. And mm. Winnie the Pooh is one of the biggest channels. I mean, I think that page has, you know – has a has a follower count that rivals you know Mickey Mouse and Big Disney. So we were always um, putting stuff on that page, and I always was at like the weird weirdo I am looking at, at history and things that we could potentially use for that mm-hmm. page. And let me tell you how forbidden anything related to Pooh for President was, Jim. I mean that was on the top of the do not post list. And I'm not really sure why. I think there must be some legality issues and also probably the fact that they didn't want, like, thousands of comments about what either would Pooh be a Democrat or a Republican, you know, that kind of thing. But, yeah, we never could even refer to the Pooh for President movement Um, because we even pitched, like, well, can we – can we introduce a new character to run for mm-hmm. president, you know, Pascal for president or something. Mm-hmm. But uh, that was very soundly rejected by the powers that be. So yeah, it's very interesting. So getting this story out, this will, this will be very cathartic for me, Jim, because I can finally <laughs> get it out of there. <laughs> well, you know, and, it, and it's so funny because if you go to YouTube right now and type in Pooh for president, there is a 56-second long piece that Disney prepped. And, and in fact, I guess the AP Wire Service grabbed it and made it available to television stations around the country. It's Pooh, Tigger, and Eeyore doing things like 
they're on the the jungle cruise with posters trying to recruit the hippos. You know, and at one point they show Pooh on a stepladder trying to get, get Teddy Barra's vote uh, inside the the country bear playhouse. I mean, it's I'm just very it, into that, Jim. Very you know, into just, that. <laughs> very straight. But, but the weird part of it is, is that evidently. This whole thing, this whole idea came up in 68. And remember, as tough an election year as we're about to face in 2020, anybody who's as old as I am remembers 68, where there was rioting in the streets outside of the Chicago Convention for the Democrats. And I mean, it was a, an amazingly brutal political year to the country. And the, and the weird part of it was, is that here was Disney getting ready to release the second Pooh featurette, Blustery Day, uh, it was going to go into theaters in December of, of that year on a double bill with the horse with the gray flannel suit. And so it's like, what would be, you know, what what could garner some additional publicity? And so well, why don't we, you know, and again, you know, on this year of people riding the street, hey, why don't we do a lighthearted presidential campaign? <laughs> so Wait, so I'm, just, I'm just shocked that you needed any more press for the horse and the gray flannel suit. I mean, I thought that would just be bringing people in, Jim. You know oh, I mean? yeah. <laughs> but the interesting thing is that the, the guy who uh, played the comic supporting role in that film, Maury Amsterdam from the the Dick Van Dyke show. He was actually the host of the um, the kickoff event for Pooh for President '68, which was held at the Hollywood Bowl on July Fourteenth, nineteen sixty-eight, and then it it transitioned into this sort of weird in park event where they do two shows a day on the Tomorrowland stage, and and but to give you some idea of. What a strange moment it was in, in, in American entertainment history that every so often celebrities would join Pooh on stage at these events, you know, in the park. And at one point, Peggy Lee got up on stage. And, and it was one of these things where it's like, I'm here to endorse Winnie the Pooh. And it's okay. Um, but anyway, election happens in 60, again, in November of 68. Movie comes out in December of 68. All of this additional publicity seemed to have worked really well for the film because it ends up taking home that year's Academy Award for Best Animated Short. But again, the, the weird thing is that Disney as an organization knows what to do with films. But featurettes, it was like, and especially, you know, as you mentioned, this this super popular character. In fact, that's the other thing here that, that people need to remember is Disney had had signed this deal with Sears, and Sears was selling mountains of Winnie the Pooh merchandise. It was constantly like, you got to do more, you got to do more. And so, you know, for example, March of 1970, Disney actually showed the original Winnie the Pooh feature, at, uh, Winnie the Pooh and the, the Honey Tree, on NBC as a special sponsored by Sears, and it did so well the very next year, literally, you know, almost the exact same date. On NBC, they show Winnie the Pooh and the Blustery Day as as a featurette. But anyway, now it's 1972, and once again, here we are. You know, it's like, wow, the publicity the last time around did so well. You know, we got to tie into this presidential thing again. Um, this time around, though, they decided to do something a little smaller. I mean, they, they mind you, it's a three-day-long event that's held at Disneyland. And and by the way, they, they instead of a ticker tape parade, they have a Tigger tape parade. Love that. <laughs> yeah. And Tigger, in fact, Tigger supposedly Pooh's campaign manager in this. And in, in fact, God help me, I've, I've read through all of the, <laughs> all of the PR that was put together for this. And for example, Pooh's running mate, you know, the vice president uh, was supposed to be Owl. Because the thinking was, because he's a bird, he could easily bring in left-wingers and right-wingers. Kind of, all right, so it's 72 is done, but Pooh continues to sell a lot of merch. November of 73, Robin Hood comes out. And there's this kind of weird pause at Disney Studios because they can't quite grasp what they're going to do with the rescuers. In fact, I think, Drew, didn't you write once about you know, the early, early iterations of, of the rescuers, like for one point, wasn't they were supposed to rescue Louis Prima? Who yeah. Was, what is it, a polar bear in a zoo? Yeah. Uh, 
they couldn't settle on a story. And it was one of these things that it was clear the film wasn't working, but they had all these animators sitting around doing nothing. And so they were like, all right, well, let's do another Winnie the Pooh. Go till we figure out the story for Rescuers. And that's how we ended up with uh, Winnie the Pooh and Tigger 2. Uh, that comes out to theaters December of, of 1974. And, uh, you know, I, sadly, Drew, they, they did not get Horse in the Gray Flannel Suit 2. Uh, <laughs> they, they did, however, get The Island at the Top of the World, which I keep meaning to rewatch because there was this great story. In, uh, do you remember American Film Magazine? Yeah. Okay. They did a profile of Robert Stevenson, the gentleman who directed, well, not only uh, Island at the Top of the World, but Mary Poppins, Bedknobs and Broomsticks. You know, a, a lot of the, the hit films of the 60s and 70s that Disney produced, Robert directed. In fact, that was the interesting headline. And this, this will date the article for you, Drew, because it was talking about you know, the, the lead for the piece was who is the top grossing director in all of Hollywood? To thinking, well, it's got to be Spielberg, it's got to be Lucas. It's like, no, at this point, it was Robert Stevenson. Mm. And they, they listed, you know, all of his box office and, and all of the films he directed for Disney and what they'd earned. But they proceeded to all, you know, talk about one of the reasons that he kept working at Disney. He was, he was one of these guys where it's like, you don't build any more set than you need. And there's this great story in the middle of this piece, the profile of Robert Stevenson, where it talks about when he was shooting the island at the top of the world, he sat down with the set director, or the, the art director for the film, and they, they figured it's this movie set where it's a, this race of explorers being chased by this lost tribe of Vikings. And what Robert and the art director figured out is like they needed basically one giant rock that, you know, if they shot it from all angles, if they just built one giant rock, they could use it for the entire movie. Evidently, if you're watching the movie carefully, you can pick out, okay, left side of the rock, right side of the rock, you know, front of rock, top of rock, bottom of rock. But they didn't have to go on location. They could shoot it all on a soundstage with one giant fake rock. So Was he supposed to be doing the, the Gorbachev at... Or not Gorbachev. Who is it at Disneyland movie? Oh, Khrushchev at Khrushchev Disneyland. Khrushchev at Disneyland with, with Peter Ustinov. Yeah, I want to say, yeah. It, in fact, if the story, as I understand it, is true, he was shooting Blackbeard's Ghost with, uh, in effect, Dean Jones. Uh, mm -hmm. you know, Dean Jones, Peter Ustinov. In fact, that's the famous story of Walt coming on the set during his last, really last walk around the studio. And, you know, Suzanne Plagette was there. She was, she's the female lead in the film. And, you know, she's sitting and talking with Walt and teasing him. And then just goes back to her dressing room and bursts into tears because he looks so terrible. Well, that was after he had like a lung removed, right? And stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that was the thing, that, that here's Ustinov, Walt and Yusinov are talking about Khrushchev at Disneyland and how this is going to be the next project and, you know, Robert's going to direct it. And, you know, he, Walt walks off the set and Dean and, you, you know, Peter sort of share a look like he's never coming back. Right. You know, and uh, it, did you, when you worked at Disney, did you ever reach out to the archive about Khrushchev at Disneyland? No, I never or? did. No. They're so, uh, they're so particular, <laughs> those guys. And, yeah. Somewhere, I mean, there's a script for that thing. We got to chase it down. Yes, we point. will. All right. So anyway, okay. Uh, again, back to 1976. Again, presidential year. That's what when Carter comes into office, and <laughs> sure enough, the huge poo for president. In fact, this is the the absolute weirdest moment in the entire poo poo for president thing for me, at least for me, Drew. A recording artist called David Gross writes a song called "Poo for President," uh, which again you can go on YouTube and listen to right now. And again, Sears, because it's just in the Winnie the Pooh business 24-7, they make a Disneyland storyteller record of it. Like I want to say it's the 45. There's an eight-page booklet that goes with it. They make it available for sale inside of every Sears around the country. It sells a ridiculous number of copies, so many copies that it winds up being nominated for a Grammy as the best children's album for 1976. Wow. Uh, you know, thank God it doesn't win, but, you know, just that just gives you some idea of how crazy this stuff got. 
Anyway, uh, we jump now to March of 1977. And again, now Disney has these three Winnie the Pooh featurettes, which again, as I mentioned, Disney doesn't know what to do with movies. It just doesn't know what to do with featurettes. And finally, some of the studios are like, look, we've actually done what Walt wanted to do back in 1960s. We have animated enough footage to make a Winnie the Pooh movie. All we need to do is create some little bridges, some little additional pieces of animation, and we got a movie. And that's what they do. They they stitch together the featurettes with some new footage. Then we'll talk about the most important piece of new footage in a sec. But that goes out in the theaters as a double bill with The Littlest Horse Thieves in March of 77. Again, isn't The Littlest Horse Thieves enough of a draw, Jim? I mean, that's really what I'm getting at here. <laughs> uh, it's, it's a wonderful film. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Unforgettable. Uh, you know, that's it. So... In fact, is it on Disney Plus? I, I don't I, think so, but okay. it might. God knows what's on Disney Plus these days. Uh, okay. So anyway, the thing is, the, the people who were working on the Winnie the Pooh uh, film felt like, look, we are taking three featurettes and trying to make it into a movie. And so movies have ends. So let's animate an end to the Winnie the Pooh and Christopher Robin story and and literally that's if you go back and watch this movie now there's a scene where there it's winnie the pooh and christopher robin on a hilltop and christopher robin explains that he's about to start going to school and they won't get to spend you know as much time with winnie the pooh and it's the famous quote you know just well if we can't be together keep me uh in your heart and we'll be together always and it's a really sweet end to the story and it, and, you know, it's, it's got Sebastian Cabot's back to do the narration, and it ends with, you know, when we leave these two characters there on that hilltop in the golden sun, and, you know, it's a beautiful end to the story. But, but, but again, this is the Walt Disney Company, and it's like, there's profit to be had. And so we need to bring an additional person into the story now. His name is Rick Reinhardt. He's an animator, uh, was based out of Cleveland. I used to work with MGM and their cartoon department. Uh, also did some animation for the U.S. Army. And he ends up landing a contract with the Walt Disney Educational Media Company. And, and again, folks, you can go to YouTube right now and watch the films that Rick did for the company. And the first of which is uh, Food and Fun, a Nutritional Adventure from 1981. And for all of you Orange Bird fans out here, you know, this is an actual movie that stars Orange Bird about 10 minutes long and explains about good nutrition. And it gets a little weird because basically at one point Orange Bird is advised to start eating himself to get some fruits and vegetables. But, you know, that does Disney's happy enough with that, that they ask Rick and his team to produce a, a short featuring the Winnie the Pooh characters called Winnie the Pooh Discovers the Seasons. And it's basically a gay film to be shown to kids in public schools that explains fall, winter, summer, and the like. In fact, you know, at one point they, they make a point of, well, fall is autumn, you know, kids, just in case you're confused. But the interesting part in the, in the summer segment of the movie, there's a moment where Eeyore is in a pool of water floating on his back with his feet up in the air. And it's influenced by the A.A. Milne story of the Pustics Bridge, and evidently somebody at Disney saw that on the feature side of things. And it's like, well, you know, that's almost as good as what we do. And, you know, we're, we're really busy in animation right now. We're, we're trying to figure out how to get the Black Cauldron out the door. But we know an, another Winnie the Pooh featurette would probably do really well uh, released theatrically. So... They actually hire Reinhardt's company to produce a brand new 20 minute long feature. It's called Winnie the Pooh and a Day for Eeyore. And uh, in this case, Drew, it goes out into theaters March of 1983 with a re release of Sword in the Stone. And what was especially interesting about this is that Disney wasn't willing to commit any more money to Winnie the Pooh animation, or at least the sort of money that they'd spend on a featurette, because they were already plowing millions of dollars into the development of Welcome to Pooh Corner. Um, right. Do you remember the, this yeah. from the... Oh, Jim, how could I... I've gone to therapy many times to try to, <laughs> try to get yeah. rid of this out of my brain. This was like going to the very first 
Disney Channel shows, I, be- I believe, and I, I remember watching it as a child. It was an opening day. Oh, wow. Yeah, the very first day of the show, uh, that cable network went on the air, which was uh, April 18th, 1983. You know, touching back on your, your Disney, uh, the 80s night at Disneyland, mm-hmm. I, I think it was actually paired with Mouser's size. It was like, oh, one really? was this, you know, the 7 to 7.30, and the other one was 7.30, 8 o'clock. But, but yeah, this is the show that, that you don't really see today because it it makes use of, what do they call it, puppetronics? Um, it's, it's, it's basically the character costumes, uh, sort of like the ones that are done for the parks, only with radio controlled eyes and mouths. And I know today, all of us who go to the parks and we'll see the talking and singing Mickey, Donald, Goofy, that sort of thing. You know, those are so much more sophisticated than, than what was done for, uh, Welcome to Pooh Corner and, Dumbo Circus, I think, was also the other one. They, they did two shows featuring Dumbo Circus. So. Yes, yeah, yeah, that was equally horrifying. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, anyway, uh, long story short, uh, they produced. Uh, I swear to God, Drew, there's a hundred episodes of Welcome to Pooh Corner. So, Yeesh. yeah. So, and again, you know, just in case those folks at Disney Plus are listening, hey, it's there. You know, hundreds of us were waiting to be traumatized again, so <laughs> yeah. dig it out. I don't think we anyone could deal with an HD version of that show. Uh, you know, yeah, this is not, <laughs> not one of the things <laughs> that HD would help. Yeah. But then, you know, what, 15 months later, Michael Eisner comes through the door as the new head of the, the Walt Disney Company. And again, Michael's all about... Not being precious with the characters and bringing them on to Saturday morning and all that. That's then uh, January of 1988. We get the new Adventures of Winnie the Pooh. We get 50 episodes of a new hand-drawn version show uh, with the characters. That runs for, I want to say, three seasons total. And then from there, if we jump ahead to almost a decade, Disney begins going into the home premiere business, especially on the heels of how many millions upon millions of copies of, you know, Return of Jafar got sold in 94. And so this is when we end up in August of 1997 with Winnie the Pooh and the Search for Christopher Robbins, which should basically be subtitled, Please Disregard Everything That You Saw in the Many Adventures of Winnie the Pooh. What do you mean Christopher Robbins said goodbye to Pooh? That didn't happen. You know, come on, kids. And again, it sold so many copies that that's what led to the Piglet movie, the Tigger movie, the what now, the Christopher Robin movie and the Winnie the Pooh film. And again, let alone uh, My Friend Tigger and Pooh. Think again, you know, the, the circling back to your story about how hugely popular Winnie the Pooh is in some of the social media channels and all that. I, I think, you know, we're kidding ourselves if we think we've seen the last Winnie the Pooh related product from Disney. Yeah, if you thought that Harry Potter could kill off Winnie the Pooh, you're wrong, buddy. <laughs> you're wrong. Although, I, I don't know, did, you saw the Christopher Robin movie from mm-hmm. a couple years ago, right? I did. I yeah. did. Yeah. Not, not the best. Uh, not the best. No, no. In fact, I, I went into that with such high expectations because, face it, uh, it was the same director who did Finding Neverland. Right. Which did such a beautiful job of sort of folding Peter Pan into the real world. And I was really hoping that it would be in that film style. Uh, and yeah. No, instead we got Christopher Robin with PTSD. So <laughs> what everyone wanted. Uh, okay. And, and so just to review here, we wound up with eight Harry Potter movies. Is that yes, correct? Eight okay. For now. And correct me when they finished filming uh, how many Mission Impossible movies will we have? We will have eight Mission Impossible movies as well. Hey! Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. Balance to the Force. There we go. Now, uh, speaking of which, you do such a great job covering what's going on with uh, the Mission Impossible movies over at Light the Fuse. What's going on with that podcast lately? Well, I mean, we we have some great guests lined up. I think I've already said that we have John Knoll from ILM who mm-hmm. tells some amazing stories. Animation fans are definitely going to want to hear that. Because uh, for a big section of that chat, we actually talk about 1906, Brad Bird's um, Earthquake movie, 
which oh, he which he was no. on. Yeah, and I and he tells stories about it which I've never heard before. Uh, oh. Details about the production, how that was actually in development before Mission Impossible. Uh, there is a, apparently some kind of sizzle reel out there, Jim, that we have to find. <laughs> that was part of his pitch. So we've got that. We've got a lot of re- we've got a March. We've we've got a lot of really exciting guests lined up. Um, I don't want to say who, because some if in case they fall through. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, the the seventh movie started shooting today, actually uh, in Italy. Wow. So yeah, so. Uh, we will be keeping an eye on things, uh, Jim. Very, we our watchful eye will be upon their the production. So yeah. Okay. Well, again, forgive me for doing, but I cannot stress enough. 1906 is one of those amazing, almost happened movies, and the fact that to to get somebody to actually talk about the work that was done on it, dear lord, I'm I'm, I'm going there, Natalie. Oh yeah, podcast. yeah. That'll be okay. that'll be that episode will be in two weeks. Um, so you got you got a little more time to wait. But yeah, it's a, it's an amazing conversation. I mean, John Knoll is a you know he's done everything and he's so good at it. And so uh, there's there's rumors that he's coming back for the next two. So we've got to confirm that. Ooh. But yeah, okay, cool. So cool, cool, anyway, cool. okay. Well, I, all right. If you're killing time till you get to hear that amazing John Knoll move, uh, you can head over to Jim Hill Media. We've got Disney Dish with Lentesto. We've got. Universal Joint with Dustin Fuse. We've got Looking at Lucasfilm with Dan Z. We've got the marvelous Disney podcast with Aaron Adams, the, the talented gentleman who edits a lot of the podcasts here. And in fact, this weekend, I'm recording a brand new episode of I Want That with Michelle Valladolid. So that'll be out there shortly. Uh, tell you what, folks, if you could do Drew and I a favor, head over to iTunes and not only rate and recommend Light the Fuse, but also Fine Tony, if you would please, that helps get additional ears and eyeballs. If you really, really like what you heard here today, head over to Bandcamp and subscribe. And uh, now, Light the Fuse, it, it does have a social media presence. I know I've yes. seen you yes, on, it's on Twitter. Twitter. We're on Twitter, Instagram, uh, Facebook, everywhere. You are posting pictures of your cat. We are also there. <laughs> Not posting pictures Nova, of cats. Nova, yeah. Nova, the, yeah. Nova the Wonder Dog. Yes, you know. yes. Uh, well, uh, same thing in regard to Jim Hill Media. You can find us on, on Twitter and Instagram is Jim Hill Media. And oh, on Facebook is Jim Hill Media News. Don't know why, but anyway, until Drew and I get around to recording a new show. That's it for now, folks. Thanks for listening. And again, two weeks to let John Knoll interview. Yes. Must listen. Yes. Must listen. Yes. So, cool.